You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. I got a text from Pastor Spencer last Friday. He was on his way to Heartland and asked me if I would be able to preach for him this evening. And so I sent back those fateful three little letters, Y-E-S. So anyway, here we are. Make sure you pray for their safe return to us. I don't know exactly when the Spencers will be back. I hope it's Sunday. Please open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. That's, I believe, the eighth book of the Old Testament. While you're doing that, sometimes pastor throws things in at the beginning. So I've got this Bible trivia question for you. Can you think of any time in the Bible that Satan did something first, God did a similar thing later on in the Bible? Think about that one for a little while. If I remember, I'll come back with an answer. And if I don't, well, ask me afterwards. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace that you give us full, free, and complete at salvation. Lord, we don't deserve it because of our sin, because of our sin natures, and sometimes wanting to wander far from thee. I pray that you would open our hearts as we open your word, and that every one of us here this evening will learn, be challenged, and gain something from going through this section of your word. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, did you know that there was more than one Bethlehem in the Holy Land? This one was in Judah. And by the way, did you know what Bethlehem means? If you translated it, Beth in Hebrew means house. Hem means bread. It is the house of bread, which is interesting because in a few minutes we'll find out what was going on there. Anyway, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, 
and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Is there anybody here besides myself that has ever run into a man by the name of Malon? Oh, okay. It's not a real common name, one you run into very often. When we were in British Columbia, Canada, there was a pastor in Kamloops, British Columbia. His name was Malon Horton. Good man. Anyway, his Elimelech had two sons, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took the wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the other, name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Kilian died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So she went with a family of four. Three of those people died. She was left with two daughter-in-laws. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. I mentioned a few minutes ago about Bethlehem, the house of bread. We find that at this point, the house of bread had no bread. At the beginning of this, that's why Elimelech and family went to Moab. They went to live amongst Gentiles. But if you want to place historically the book of Ruth, you'd probably put it somewhere uh, probably early in the book of Judges. And if you're familiar with Judges, you know that the nation would go up, grow close to God, forget about them, go down, up, down, and this was one of those roller coaster rides that uh, Elimelech took off on. Well, Ruth wanted to go back to somewhere she knew, her home. Wherefore, verse 7, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead, i.e. their husbands, and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Naomi suggested here that they get remarried. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Now she's calling them daughters. Little closer relationship than daughter-in-laws. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? have to realize at this point in history, uh, in Hebrew history anyway, what would happen if, a, say, a brother died, then if there was another eligible brother in the family, 
that was not married, they could step in, marry the widow, and then keep the land, which was the main reason for the way they did this, still in the family. And Naomi is saying at this point, I'm sorry girls, I'm a little too old to have any more children, and if I did, would you wait until they got old enough to marry you? So that could be maybe 20 years or more. She tells them to just go back to Moab where you came from. I'm going back to Bethlehem where I come from. And verse 13, she asked a question, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? If she were to have more sons, would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. I was thinking about that statement of hers. A little later in the chapter, when she does get back to Bethlehem and people greet her, oh, Naomi, we're so glad to see you again. What does she say? What is her response? Call me Mara, for I am bitter. Who was she bitter against? She was bitter against God. Have you ever been bitter against God for something? Well, lots of people are. Most of us have probably been bitter at one time or another against God for something that has happened. But let me, in this specific instance of Naomi and Elimelech, did God send them out of Bethlehem, Judah, to go with live with a bunch of Gentiles? No. God didn't do that. In fact, God told them not to. They went against God's will. If we are ever in a situation where we find we get bitter against God, we need to ask ourselves, who moved? I would venture a guess it was not God. It was probably us. We did something to set up this situation. When I was reading this this afternoon, I was thinking of my mother. She is in northern Wisconsin. She is living in a locked dementia unit. She's 95 years old. She was diagnosed with dementia better than a year and a half ago in October of 16. And she, her memory is short term is mostly gone. You can tell her something and sometimes 10 or 15 seconds later, she'll ask you the same question. And she wants to get out of where she is, but she can't. But I bring that up to say my mother has been bitter against God for more than my lifetime. I am her oldest son from her second 
husband, my mother's first husband, Elton Jackson, went into the military, United States military, even though he was a Canadian citizen. In World War II, and was killed in the Battle of the Bulge. My mother has never forgiven God for that. She came home. A lot of her other girlfriends were already married or had found a GI and got married after the war and couple times my mother's told me that she married my dad. She grabbed the first set of pants that walked by that said hi. Probably not the best reason to get married, but if she hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. Lots of people get bitter against God. It's easy to do. It's all too easy to do We forget who we are sometimes, and we forget who God is. I have seen this played out many, many times over the years. Naomi is bitter against God. What's the best thing to do if you're bitter against God? Confess your sin and forsake it. Start counting your blessings. As the song goes, name them one by one. My wife says frequently when she drives to work in the morning and it takes her approximately 40 minutes to drive from Canton to the southwest side of Sioux Falls, 35, 40 minutes, she's tells me every once in a while she spends the whole time driving into work, counting her blessings, naming them one by one. And she runs out of roads to drive on before she runs out of blessings. And that's a good lesson for all of us. But let's go on. Well, As the story goes, Orpah does turn around and leave and go back home. She must have been the easier person to persuade of the two daughter-in-laws of Naomi. She protested a little bit at the beginning, but finally she turns around and goes back home to what's familiar to her comfort zone. Being married, losing your husband will definitely take you out of your comfort zone, and she was just looking forward to getting back into it. But Ruth stays with her, stays with Naomi, and they go on, they journey back to Bethlehem, Judah. And according to verse 22, they arrive at the beginning a barley harvest. From what I remember about barley in that day and time, it was used for animal feed, also for making bread. 
Have you ever tried barley bread? I don't think I have. But I'm sure if you looked hard enough, you probably could find some. Chapter 2, and Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she, that's Naomi, said unto her, Go, my daughter. Naomi referred to Ruth as her daughter-in-law before. Now she just refers to her as her daughter. Ruth realizes that the two of them need to eat. They probably still have their house there that uh, Elimelech and Naomi lived in before they left for Moab. But they needed food. So they went out to glean. Do you know what gleaning is? They didn't have all the big fancy equipment that we have today. They had to do everything by hand. So they would harvest the grains by hand. They would pile up the stalks in a number of different manners. And then the gleaners would come through after they had piled things up and picked up the individual little uh, pieces or short stalks of grain or the heads of grain and then put them in a basket or sometimes the ladies would use a shawl or whatever to haul the, uh, what they had gleaned in. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of bending over. It's a lot of back-breaking labor out in the sun. This area of the world is not known for its major snowfalls. And Ruth thought that she could go glean. There was a provision in the law of Moses for the poor and the widows, which both she and Naomi were, that they could go glean in the fields, pick up the stuff here and there that was left, and then they could eat, they could make bread in this case, and have something to sustain them. Today, we don't have gleaners going through the fields, at least I've never seen it. Well, Ruth goes out. She finds a likely place. She starts gleaning. And the owner shows up by the name of Boaz. And what does he do? He notices her. She is somebody he has not seen before. So he pulls one of the young men aside and asks, who is this young damsel? And so the Boaz gets the answer, and after that he tells his young men, when you're working, I've got enough to take care of my wants and needs. 
This young lady has nothing. She came here as a widow. She has a mother-in-law to take care of, provide for. Let some extra fall on the ground. I believe the Bible uses the uh, expression handfuls of purpose for her. And he tells him, just leave them there for her so she can pick them up. It'll make it a little easier. And then he talks to Ruth and says, when it comes mealtime, come in with all the rest of the people and there is food and drink there. Take whatever you want and partake of it. Well, Ruth comes, finishes out her day. She was there probably from shortly after sunup, probably until close to sundown. And then she comes back and brings an ipa of barley. Well, I looked in one of my cheater books. I realized that uh, those of you who are in your 20s and 30s probably go online. I have a bunch of cheater books from ages ago. But anyway, an ipa of flour equals about six and a quarter gallons or eight tenths of a bushel. Can you imagine carrying a bushel, almost a bushel of grain? That wasn't light. She probably didn't have a basket. She probably carried it in a shawl or something she had on her. Back home to Naomi, and Naomi is very impressed. They could eat on that for a long time time. With that, and then Naomi says, where did you get all this? And Ruth tells her, well, there was a man by the name of Boaz, and he told me to stay with his gleaner, stay with his maidens. I can go out and continue gleaning through all of his lands, through all of their different harvests and the different crops that he was, were being raised. And Naomi probably was about ready, although I know she was Hebrew, but she may have been interested in doing a good old Irish jig at that time. Although it would probably been a Hebrew jig. But anyway, chapter 3, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Naomi tells Ruth, who's learning more and more about Hebrew culture and customs. Naomi says, Wash thyself therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. So Ruth puts on her finest, goes down to the threshing floor at night, has an interaction with Boaz, and ask him to do the work of a kinsman on her behalf. 
Boaz says, certainly I would be thrilled to be able to do that, but there's one little fly in the ointment. There is a closer male relative than I am. But Boaz says, don't worry, young lady. I will go to the city gate tomorrow because I expect I will be seeing that closer relative and I will talk to him and we will get this settled for you. Boaz follows through on what he does and what he told Ruth. He goes to the city gates. That's where the business of the city was transacted. I live in Canton, and just a short time ago, we had an election for a new mayor and for commissioners. The city council changed, the form of government in Canton changed, And so, but that's the kind of thing that was done at the city gates as well as business transactions amongst people. Uh, There was always a good group of people there to handle whatever came up. Boaz shows up, meets the other gentleman and says, our relative, Elimelech, left here went to Moab, died in Moab, was buried there. His wife came back here and is back in Bethlehem. She brought one of her daughter-in-laws with her. Would you be interested in buying the field? that was Elimelech, the property, because that's the way things were done back then at that point. And the man says, yes, I like that idea. I can use some more land. He was a farmer wanting to increase the size of his fields. And then Boaz threw, oh, by the way, if you buy the field, you have to marry Ruth the Moabitess, Naomi's daughter-in-law. And the guy goes, "Uh, well, I'm sorry, that I cannot do. I am uh, already occupied. I can't. He says, if you want to, Boaz, go ahead. And Boaz does what happens back then. What they would do is take off their shoe, use that as a means of sealing a business deal. Today, we would think that a little bit uh, foreign and uncommon if you took off your shoe and used it in a business deal. But that's the way they did it because I believe that the shoes were normally individually made for a certain person and they were uh, made in a certain way with certain patterns and different things on the shoes so they could tell whose it was. Well, that goes ahead. Boaz does go ahead. 
He buys the fields from Naomi and her dead husband. He does marry Ruth. And why is this book in Scripture? Well, if you go to the end of it, we get a pretty good idea. Let's drop down to the last four verses, five verses, chapter 4, verse 18. Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, and Nashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz. There's our man there. And Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, the king, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Ruth, a Gentile, is in the lineage of King David. And approximately a thousand years later, the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a rough overview of what happens in the book of Ruth. But I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the kinsman redeemer, which Boaz is in this story, in this historical record. They are real people because they have a genealogy given to us in Scripture. The kinsman redeemer and Boaz is one such. He exercised that right in the story. Boaz becomes a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kinsman redeemer would marry into a family, would take over their property, and in this case, he married Ruth, a widow, and brought her into the family. Officially, the kinsman redeemer would come in and bring people that were not born into a family into a family, a godly family, and Ruth was in a godly family. She was a godly young lady. She had married Malon, had learned a lot about Hebrew life and customs, but normally the best way to learn about something like that is to go live with them, which she did, married Boaz. The Lord Jesus Christ has come down from heaven has entered our world, the world he created and made, and he wants us to be related to him. He takes us as we are. He takes us where he finds us. He takes us everything that we are 
and we change families from the devil's family when we get saved, before we're saved, we're in the devil's family, after we get saved, we're in God's family. And as Boaz was a very wealthy man, the Lord Jesus Christ is also a very wealthy man because he made everything and he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What about you? Are you in need of a kinsman redeemer this evening? If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? I mentioned my mother earlier. My mother followed my dad as we moved around, and my dad always found churches for us to go to. I was raised Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, with a smattering of Jehovah's Witness. That's an interesting combination. I married a uh, young lady, Donna, who was raised Roman Catholic. Her mom was Catholic, her dad, Missouri Synod Lutheran. So after we got married, we didn't go to church hardly at all until Donna started going to a Bible study and then we both started going to the Bible study and then I got saved and Donna and I became Baptists. She was already saved. So we got everybody mad at us, both sides, all the relatives, because we switched churches. But the kinsman redeemer comes and takes us who we are, where we are. It does not make any difference what church we may have grown up in. God can still save us. God wants to take us to heaven and share all the joys of heaven with each of us. I mentioned Naomi called herself Mara or bitter. Why, as Christians, should we ever be bitter against God? He has done everything for us. He has taken us out of the devil's land and family and brought us into his own and given us more than we can even imagine. The Bible says, I hath not seen, ear heard, either has entered into the heart of man the thing that God has for those that love him. We have no exact picture of what heaven's going to be like, but it's going to be a lot different than where we are now. We're not going to have to worry about some of the little problems and difficulties that we have in life. As many of you know, I had cataract surgery in February. I have worn glasses, I think, since I was five, so that was well over 60 years. For three months, I didn't wear glasses. Now for a while, I've got glasses back on for almost two weeks now. It's nice to have glasses back. But when I get to glory, I'm not going to need glasses. If you have any physical ailments, you get to glory, you're not going to have to worry. You won't have those problems anymore. My dad died in February of 05. 
after a long bout with the results of the use of tobacco for too many years. He had both of his legs amputated. My dad, I believe, was a Christian. I get to see him in glory. He'll have both of his legs back. We can be physical cripples. We can be emotional cripples. Or we can be spiritual cripples. And God wants to fix that in our lives. What is God doing in your life today? If you know him, and I trust most of us do, what has God done for you in the last week? Stop and count your blessings and thank him for what he has done for you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I suggest you find somebody, talk to them. We'd be happy to show you what it is and how to become a Christian. Think about that. Do you have a kinsman redeemer or do you need one? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word, we thank you for the lessons it teaches each of us. We thank you for saving us, for keeping us. Lord, all of us, we're still human beings. We get discouraged, frustrated. Sometimes it builds up and builds up and we become bitter. Lord, Help us to confess that as sin and that we can get ourselves back into close personal fellowship with Thee. Thank You for everyone that's here this evening. I pray that You will use this time in our lives to draw each of us a little closer to You. Help us to keep our eyes looking upwards. Help us Guide us, lead us, show us what you'd have us to do. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for what you've done in my life, the lessons you've taught me. Many of them have been hard lessons for me to learn. Sometimes you've had to use a two-by-twelve upside my head. But Lord, I thank you for being patient for loving me, forgiving me when I sin. And Father, I pray that you would use each of us to reach out to somebody else in the next week with a message of the gospel. I thank you for what you've done in my life and what you're doing in everybody in this room's lives as well. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.